I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Michael Holt, who is President and CEO of cybersecurity firm Verta Labs. Michael was among contributors to a new guidance document recently issued by the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence at the National Institute of Standards and Technology to help healthcare delivery organizations secure their picture archiving and communication systems. PACs comprise the systems used to centrally manage medical imaging data. Michael will be describing how this guidance can help healthcare entities better secure their PACs. So, Michael, to start, why is this guidance important for entities to consider in securing their PACs systems, and who should consider using this guidance? So, healthcare delivery organizations are mainly concerned about safety. So, in hospitals, there are radiology managers, clinical specialists that manage clinical applications for viewing different types of images captured from CT scanners, X-ray machines, MRI machines. And in terms of safety, if these systems are offline and, let's say, a stroke patient comes in, they cannot conduct a CT scan in a timely manner. So the main concerns for hospitals are, in terms of security, are continuity and downtime. There's also other risks at hospitals, such as privacy and compliance with different federal regulations. And some of these devices have default passwords, and uh, these devices need to be on segmented networks, networks that aren't vulnerable to employee email phishing attacks. And hospitals have to know what are the highest risk devices so they can protect these devices from ransomware. So what top security controls and practices does this guidance address for securing medical imaging data that entities might sometimes overlook or underimplement? One of the things is when you inventory the devices, we have to get the IP and MAC address for these devices so that we can make sure these devices are segmented and properly configured. We don't want any of these devices on publicly facing networks. Also, hospitals need to understand the vulnerabilities for the devices because if there is a certain breach, sometimes there's some intelligence around what are the additional attack vectors that the attackers are exploiting. So they need to know what are some of the older operating systems that the attackers could take advantage of within the medical devices. This is a really complex problem because there takes there's an incident response sort of delay in patching and upgrading the software for such a large volume of devices. So in this guidance, it really goes into making sure that you have the right controls in place so you can optimally configure your devices. Because in some of these environments, if you have an exploit on one operating system, they sort of call it break and run with the homogenous operating systems and the networks. They can uh, pivot to other devices and they have a, a much larger scale of their attack. Now, Michael, you mentioned that many of these systems have default sort of passwords. Are there certain identity and access management issues that the guidance can help entities with when it comes to PACs? And what are some of the weak spots there generally when we see PACs and the use of them when it comes to uh, identity and access management? A lot of times these systems require updating. The vendor pushes a new software update, whether it's for some new features or for uh, updating the dependencies in the code. 
And just like the solar winds attack, which was reported that the username was admin and the password was SolarWinds123, a lot of these devices have passwords that are just admin, admin. So this guidance goes into a lot of the different threat vectors, vulnerability scenarios, how to implement pervasive controls for access management and access control. So what sorts of potential data security incident scenarios might this PACS guidance help entities avoid? Something that's really current is, for example, with like COVID-19, there's a lot of intellectual property in imaging data. So you can imagine uh, certain scans of patients can be analyzed to, to see if they have uh, something showing that they might have COVID in their lungs. Some of the attacks on healthcare providers have been at COVID testing facilities, vaccine research centers, sometimes at academic medical facilities. There's a concern for loss of IP or research. We've even heard of ransomware living in some of the imaging files. And there are some cybersecurity groups, public sector coordinating councils that are looking also at artificial intelligence and machine learning data poisoning, where if some of we use some techniques to view the images, if those algorithms can become corrupt. So now, Michael, we see legacy systems being an ongoing problem for healthcare entities. You have these expensive devices, expensive equipment that's been used for years and years and years, and we hear a lot about the problem of outdated software. How can this guidance be applied to both legacy devices, legacy PAC systems, as well as new PAC systems and new PACS type of gear as it's added to the enterprise? Yeah, that's a great question. So this document goes into a lot more about open source picture archiving solutions and protecting cloud-based solutions. And it also has a lot of documentation about the frameworks needed to manage a lot of the legacy infrastructure, the complex networks with servers and countless different segmented networks. So this can be applied to legacy and newer devices. And there's a lot also going on at the FDA with pre and post market monitoring. There's things coming out about tracking the software bill of materials. And there's these new forms that keep updating the form, the MDS square form from the FDA. So these are a couple of different tools that can be managed to, there's also alerts coming out from the FDA about vulnerabilities with devices. So tools that are used in this project can help uh, with the asset management of the PACS configuration with the risk assessment, the vulnerability, the inventory, so you can make sure you properly configure these systems. So now, Michael, as I said, you were among contributors to this guidance. There's a long list of contributors. When you and your colleagues were sort of sorting out areas of focus, were there some top issues, weaknesses either with PACS security or the top challenges that organizations were having in terms of securing their PACS systems that sort of rose to the top that got a lot of focus during your discussions and also in the guidance? Yeah, so I think there's a pretty large attack surface because the way that these systems are designed is there's a workstation where you view the images. There's a server, usually called a vendor-neutral archive, that transmit the images and store the images. And then there's also the actual endpoint medical device, the CT scanner, that's running an operating system. So there's, there's a lot of different modalities. There's a larger attack surface. 
there's a lot of different applications and networks that need to be managed. So this documentation goes into managing the the full network uh, between the devices, the servers, and the various different endpoints. So it's really important to make sure these systems are up and running because as we've seen with the ransomware, hospitals have had to divert 911 calls, go back to paper charting. And one of the concerning things that came out recently is some of the hospitals were paying the ransom, but there's some new laws that you can't actually pay the ransom anymore. So I think just managing so many different modalities and knowing that you can't have downtime, because if you can imagine if you have downtime, let's say during COVID with an ICU that's full, that's just completely unacceptable. And Michael, in healthcare, we often see a big range in terms of cyber security maturity of organizations. You have some smaller organizations that are often under-resourced, but then you have large integrated health systems that might have a you know bigger IT staff, a bigger security team. When it comes to the more mature organizations, are there any surprising or new advice that this guidance can offer that could help be helpful to even the most mature organization? Yeah, this new document really goes into outlining all of the different components of the NIST framework. And it also outlines different threat vectors and different vulnerability and attack scenarios. A lot of the larger organizations have government risk management and compliance solution. They really do a lot with tracking frameworks. So this document has been updated a significant amount to track hundreds of lines of of different frameworks. And then for the smaller organizations, they're maybe not worried about frameworks so much. They're just trying to get a basic inventory. So that's why at Vertilabs Labs 2, we've built a free and open source tool to try to get better tools into the hands of smaller organizations. And finally, Michael, what's next for this guidance? Is this something that's going to be regularly updated? Was there a draft guidance prior to this in which there's new changes in this final document that people might not be familiar with? From my understanding, this PAX project is the second project in a series of projects. The first one was securing infusion pumps. I believe this project is complete now for securing picture archiving systems. And then there's a new project now that's focused on telehealth. Any known timeline for the work on the telehealth guidance? They just kicked it off last summer, so I would assume they will have an initial draft out sometime later this year, and then they'll probably take another full year into 2022 to finalize the guidance and get public feedback. Thank you, Michael. I've been speaking to Michael Holt. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.